I'm Angela Hauk, and today's guest is Dr. David Miller, who is a naturopathic doctor, and we dive into everything gut health related. So we talk about how to optimize your gut, the gut-brain connection, how to deal with constipation, how to deal with bloating. We dive into apple cider vinegar and other supplements that may be able to assist in optimizing your health. We also dive into the benefits of using an elimination diet to really determine what might not be agreeing with your system. So I know you guys are going to enjoy today's episode, so let's get going. So Dr. David Miller is a naturopathic doctor in his 10th year of clinical practice. His focus is on digestion and the gut-brain connection. He calls himself a medical detective who is always looking for a better solution to help his clients and their health problems. Today we're going to dive deep into optimizing gut health, but first, I'd just like to welcome you to our podcast, David. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Ange. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So let's tell our audience a little bit about who you are and how you got into being a naturopath. I got into be a naturopath sort of by accident almost. I wanted to be a doctor and then I sort of looked into that a little bit further and it didn't really sit right for me. I applied to medical school, didn't get in the first time, got interviews the second time. But in this time, uh, I sort of said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go uh, live on the beach in New Zealand and try and figure things out. And when I was there, I, I learned a little bit about homeopathy, which led to naturopathic medicine. And you know what, it just sounded like a really, really comprehensive, intelligent way to go about health, healing, and medicine. So I was, I was pretty much hooked at that point, and uh, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. And where are you from? I live in Southampton, Ontario. So I've been practicing in Southampton and Port Elgin. It's kind of like two towns in one, uh, although that might piss off some people in Southampton. But that's okay. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, so it's a small town on Lake Huron. And uh, yeah, I've been in practice now for like 10 years here. Cool. Well, I did some research on you and I know that you had a couple cool things that you worked your way through in terms of healing. So the two things I want to talk about first are actually your mom and what uh, you helped your mom with and then your own colitis journey. Yeah. So I had gut issues for, I would say most of my at least in my adolescence and then uh, in those like really nervous, anxious years as a teenager with pimples and cold sores. So, you know, I I didn't really do that much about it. I don't think we talked as much about gut health. And, you know, there's a bit of shame or whatever that goes along with like gut health, stools, gas and all this stuff. So I didn't pursue it too, too much. I got some really limited help from my medical doctor, which didn't help me very much. So I had like symptoms of gastrointestinal problems for a long time and then culminating even in naturopathic college where I I actually had like blood coming out of my uh, in my stool so it was pretty serious and at that point it's pretty clear that I was suffering from some form of colitis and I tried things I tried you know I'm a naturopathic student at this point so I tried tons of things but in the end it was homeopathy that uh, cured my colitis and and you know I haven't had perfect bowels for the rest of my life, but it's, it's, I mean, like I'm so much better than I used to be. So with regards to my mom, uh, my mom suffered from uh, fibromyalgia uh, around the same time. And if anyone has fibromyalgia or knows someone from, with fibromyalgia, there's like a, there's a certain way that people with fibromyalgia are. They're often uh, low energy, sometimes depressed, 
but they're inflamed and they have gut issues. And that's something I really like to share these days. I didn't know it when I treated my mom for fibromyalgia, but she got better with, again, with a homeopathic. So homeopathy is very dear to my heart, as well as like naturopathy as a, as a broader subject. Um, but when you, when you're able to fix your mom, uh, there's, you know, there's hardly anything better to, uh, to feel accomplished in doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just sounds like it was a really natural fit for you. Now, there might be some people in the audience who really don't even know anything about naturopathic medicine. So can you explain a little more about how it differs from the medical system? Yeah, sure. So it's a really difficult question to answer in lots of ways, because I don't think that the profession itself is done a great job of sort of communicating what we do because we are many things. And, um, you know, when you're many things, the, the brain sort of turns off. If you say I'm an accountant, a window washer and a mechanic, you just go, OK, what are you? You know, and so a naturopath is doomed to that sort of psychology. So we do clinical nutrition. We do homeopathy. We do acupuncture. We do supplements. We do Chinese medicine. We basically are what would I'd call like a pluralistic kind of approach. We use many different tools to uh, to stimulate the body to heal itself and so you know we've got lots of tools but the other side of it is it's, it's hard to describe exactly what we do and then each naturopath practices a little bit different so you know I lean a little bit more towards nutrition acupuncture and homeopathy whereas some of my colleagues might uh, lean more towards just supplementing very cool and in terms of your inspiration or how you felt drawn towards the gut was that inspired by your own personal journey and your own personal struggles? Or what drew you into the gut-brain connection? Yeah, so I think partly my own struggles, you know, and it's, I was thinking about it because, you know, I've been thinking about this podcast with you and I thought, I think one of the interesting things about the gut is it's a it's a, a daily reflection of your health in a way. You know, generally we, you know, we go to the toilet every day, hopefully. And if you don't, then listen, continue listening and we'll talk more. But, you know, it's a it's a reminder of your health in a way, the, the gut uh, function. The other thing is, as a naturopath, it's it's one of the, the core, core beliefs is that, you know, once we heal the gut, then much uh, falls into place. That even harkens back to, you know, Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, who said all disease begins in the gut. So this is not a new idea. But what's kind of new, Ange, is that there's a lot of new research sort of teasing out the details and getting a, a little bit more of a scientific approach to uh, a concept that we've known for a long time. But now we're really teasing out the details. And it's a really exciting time, I think, to be a gut-focused naturopath because you feel like people are finally getting it. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good time to be a gut-focused practitioner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you kind of touched on it there about the importance of gut health. But how is the gut connected to all of the other elements within the body? Great question. And they're finding out more and more ways in which it is. But like even from a so let's just look at it from a hardware perspective. There's no system in the body that doesn't need some hardware. So you can compare it to like your computer. Your computer has hardware to run software on it. So, you know, hardware is a reality even for software. The same thing sort of applies with the body. So we've got, you know, the muscles in our body, which uh, you know all about. And, you know, we've got the brain, which actually, you know, we associate a lot with software, but it needs some hardware. To work. So where do you get the hardware? Well, simply you get it through the gut. And it's getting even more complicated now um, because it's it's not like everything that goes in, that's all that we're getting. It's not just from that. It's actually from, you know, feeding the bugs in our guts. 
And then when we feed the bugs in our guts, they actually make some molecules for us. There's some uh, molecules like biotin you may have heard of for skin, hair, and nails. Uh, vitamin K, absolutely critical for you know blood clotting, like really, really core stuff. And it's actually made for us by the gut. So really, really interesting, just even from a hardware perspective. Then we can go into maybe more like a software analogy where we've basically got the gut and the brain talking to each other all the time. So, I mean, this again, this episode probably isn't for the squeamish people, but I'll, I, I like to say this example because it gets it gets the point across. When I used to go do like a, a test, you know, I, did, I went through many tests to become a naturopath, so uh, I'm familiar with them. But, you know, I'd often get diarrhea right before. And why am I getting diarrhea right before? Well, it's signals from the brain are going to the gut and causing me to, you know, have diarrhea. There's a, there's that sort of gut brain connection. Really, that's a that's a perfect case in point. And the other way works too. You know, there's times when people who have IBS they actually are suffering often from depression or anxiety, and so there's this sort of mood issue that often accompanies IBS. So this software and hardware connection with the gut is it's critical to the function of all systems basically and it's the other really interesting thing about it is that you can manipulate it quite well so you know it's easier to to manipulate things in our diet and the gut that will then affect the brain rather than to like think oh we should go in and drill a hole in the brain and fix a neuron or two like it's it actually has such an impact on all the systems and it's an easy sort of way of getting in there and making change and actually observing change too because it, as we improve in our health often our bowels will change and like i said generally have a bowel movement every day you can sort of assess your progress in a way mm -hmm. now how do we optimize then our gut health so that everything is moving along nicely in terms of our systems yeah so really food first you know, food first is is the way to optimize the gut, and it probably is pretty intuitive to most of us. You know, if you put shit in, you get shit out. Um, what do computer programmers talk about? Junk in, junk out. So, you know, putting good fuel in gives you the best chance of what you're going to extract from that. So, there's a few main things you like to you like to focus on. So nutrient density, which I think, you know, you and all of our viewers would, or listeners would be um, really quite cognizant of, you know, if you need lots of vitamins and minerals to, to make the gut work properly. But it gets a little bit more complicated after that. And we could go into the specifics of that, but really start with food is, is the main point I want to say right off the bat. In terms of good foods, bad foods, foods that are going to be better for gut health, can you tell our audience some of those? Yeah, sure. So uh, another good concept to get in mind, get in our minds here is that uh, sometimes the absence of a bad food is better than a whole bunch of a good food. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if, you, if you've got something that, you know, you have a sensitivity to or an allergy to, we could use the sim the, probably the example of uh, gluten is pretty, pretty common these days. Most people know someone who's not just following a fad, but actually has a gluten intolerance or is full on celiac. If we give that person any dose of, of gluten, they are having serious, serious uh, problems in the bowel. But the, again, the, the problems are not limited to the bowel. The bowel is attached through the nervous system to the rest of the body. So we're getting systemic problems from having a little bit of gluten. And it can be as small as the amount that may be in a in like a herbal tincture. I've seen it in clinical practice. It's insane how, how much um, taking the wrong food in can affect the body in a really, really powerful, adverse way. So part of it maybe starts with avoiding really, really bad foods. 
then you can start to improve the quality of the good foods that you bring in. But the, the thing is, there's some principles, but then everyone's got their own sort of unique physiology and we'll all react differently to different foods. So maybe, Ange, there's some food that's like not good for you, but I could eat it and do really, really well from it. And that sort of depends on our immune system's view of the food. So if we bring that food in, our immune system goes, hmm, is this good or is this bad? And if it's good, all good. And if it's bad, there's inflammation, there's oxidative stress, there's like mucus, there's sometimes diarrhea, there's definitely stress on the immune or on the uh, nervous system. So that's one of the main things is trying to figure out what the bad foods are and keep them out. And then the rest is a little bit easier when you're trying to just, you know, tonify or increase the amount of, say, greens and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, where does somebody start in terms of evaluating if a food is good or bad for them and their unique physiology? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a really, really good question and, and sometimes requires more in-depth, individualized approach. But let's start with, you know, I, I would say a lot of my patients that I see have a bad reaction to some foods and they continue to eat it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, I that would be where I would, I would start. And I often tell, I often tell them like, start with what you know (laughs) already. If you know that you get diarrhea after you have a food and it's within like, you know, minutes or hours or whatever after eating it, then, you know, I don't mean to say the obvious, but really we should not eat that food. So start with really obvious stuff. And then there's your common suspects like wheat, especially North American wheat, because it's not always gluten. It's, it's actually wheat is the problem, not necessarily the gluten. And that probably deserves a whole other podcast. But yeah, so wheat, gluten, dairy, these are some of the, the most common ones, maybe eggs. And what you can do is just sort of eliminate things and then reintroduce. And um, we were going to talk, I think, at some point about the elimination diet. Is that where we're kind of mm-hmm. heading with this? Or did, mm-hmm. you, did you? Yeah, yeah, I want to head in that direction. Yeah. Okay, so I just had someone come in today uh, post-elimination diet, and she's doing great. Everything's better uh, in terms of the, her. She had two sort of goals that she was looking forward to uh, to improving, and they're both improved. And Angie, it was only from 11 or 12 days because, you know, life happens sometimes, and, you know, the wheels fall off or whatever sort of uh, <laughs> saying mm-hmm. you have. The shit hits the fan, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, things fall apart and they don't always go according to plan. So she only did it for 11 or 12 days. But her two main goals improved dramatically in that 11 to 12 days. So what we do in that elimination diet, and um, I think, Angie, you'll give them the link. I've actually put a link there to a, to a web page that you can just download the resources that I use for the elimination diet. And it's Basically, it's a list of things to eat and a list of things to not eat. I would say I would lean towards really reviewing the list of things to not eat and following that, and you're basically doing an elimination diet. But the key with the elimination diet is I won't get into the details. You can look at the details you know, of what to avoid. They're going to be everything that you think you should avoid, plus you know, nasty condiments, sugar. It's pretty intuitive, a lot of it, but you know, when you put it all into one sort of system, then you really, um, you can reap the benefits. So the benefits are twofold. It's therapeutic. So it's kind of a detox. Avoiding toxins is a way of detoxifying. Mm -hmm. You know, so what you do is you avoid all these sort of toxin or, or, uh, foods that have a, you know, injurious effect on the body. And so in that time that you're avoiding them, your body's like, poof, this is great. I love it. I can, clean out the closets, you know, so it starts to heal the gut a little bit better because there's not new crap coming in. 
So you're actually healing and, and probably losing. This woman lost five pounds in 11 days. And that's really, really common. And it, she, it's not calorically restricted. That's really interesting. It's not calorically restricted. I'll repeat it. It is not calorically restricted. And you will lose weight generally for five pounds in that week to two weeks. So that's really interesting. But the other side of the, the other benefit of the elimination diet is it's pretty much, it's a diagnostic tool. So in that healing time that you've gone through, that be it two weeks usually is what I do. You've got the therapeutic effect of it. Excellent. But what you've done is you've, you've, you need to leverage that now. And so what you're going to do is you're going to leverage that healing and you're going to bring in foods that you think may be uh, problematic for you. So say, say you eat eggs every day and you've done elimination diet and you're like, I want eggs bad. So that should be the first food you bring back in. You bring in eggs and within half an hour, you've got diarrhea, sore joints and a headache. Well, we know now that eggs are not, you know, a tolerable food for you. And then you sort of give yourself one or two days washout. So you, you let those effect, effects calm down and then you bring in the next food. Maybe you missed peanut butter and you bring in peanut butter and you have like itchy face or, you know, sore joints or your brain fog and you go, okay, I can't have peanut butter either. But it's not usually like that. Usually you can tolerate um, a lot of the foods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I find that really interesting. And I'm just going to put in a little sidebar because I had this actually happen to me. So I kept on having these, I don't know exactly what was happening internally, but it felt like there was a ball passing through my upper right hand quadrant and it would happen maybe once a month or so. And for eight or eight to 12 hours, I was like keeled over in pain with this ball feeling as though it was passing through my system. And so eventually my doctor couldn't see me. So I went into eMERGE and they did tests on everything, did all these things just to make sure everything was fine. After all the tests, they just said, you're fine. I'm like, okay, well, that didn't tell me anything. <laughs> but they said, it's possible that you have GERD, which is a possibility. And they gave me a list of here's all of the foods that we want you to eliminate and let's just see how you feel. And guys, it was like a game changer. And like I pulled out red meat, I pulled out pork, dairy, eggs, tomatoes, citrus, gluten, wheat. And like, I've never felt better. And even people just looking at my body were like, oh my God, your body doesn't look as inflamed. Like you could, you could see it. Right. Um, and then just, I was pooping every day, like for my entire life, I've never pooped every day. And like, I knew it was something that was important, but it wasn't until I really had these like attacks that kept happening or whatever the hell was happening inside my system that I was like, okay, I actually have to do some eliminating. Cause although I, I was eating like healthy ish, like pretty healthy, but there was a lot of things that I was eating that just were not agreeing with my system. So eliminating those things, I'm like, oh my God, this is a whole new life. So certainly something, no matter how old you are, whatever experience you or knowledge you have in relation to nutrition, sometimes you just need to give it a go and see how you feel because the grass can be greener on the other side. And then you look back and you're like, oh my God, I've been living like almost 30 years of my life with things not functioning optimally. Yeah, that's that's a really cool story. And I'd love to know how, like, how your training and stuff went about like when you did those diet changes, because, you know, that that's an interesting thing, because you're such a high level athlete that it'd be interesting to see how your your training and everything reacted to that. Oh, I felt way stronger, way better all around, like just everything, everything mm -hmm. within me felt that much better because I would even find my stomach would keep on getting like descended and feel uncomfortable. And when you're training at a high intensity with your stomach, 
feeling uncomfortable, you can't focus on what you're supposed to be performing. You end up that you're thinking about how uncomfortable your stomach is feeling. And even if you're not having bowel movements every day, everything within your system just feels as though it's backed up, right? You just don't feel, um, you don't feel as good. And even my mental clarity. So going in and being able to focus on the task at hand became that much better. So I certainly, yeah, I, it's one of those things that I'm glad that I had that happen. And to that extent, because I think sometimes we do just ignore it. And I'm sure you see lots of clients in your practice who do just ignore it, right? They're like, I don't really, I know something isn't perfect, but I don't want to give up that food or they're just, yeah, they're just not ready to make that change. Yeah, totally. And I think you talk about stuff like that too. It's like, how bad do you want it? Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, like it, I, I get, you know, I, I follow, I follow your, uh, your Instagram and I see what you're putting out there and I like it. It's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of similarities in some ways. And, you know, when someone comes in and they don't want to do the diet changes, I mean, I try to make it as simple as possible. And you probably, when you're working with people, I don't know, uh, you you probably try and tailor it to them as much as you can. There's some core stuff you have to do, but mm-hmm. then you, you try and make it as minimal as possible to get the, the maximum effect. But if you don't want to do it, then, I mean, I, that's why I have a, I, I actually like interview people before I work with them. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't want people to come and say it didn't work or, yeah. you know, this, yeah. this is BS or whatever. And, well, you know, if you're not ready to do the work or give up a couple things, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be tough to get different results. It's like insane to think you're going to get results from doing the same thing almost. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I would agree 100%. And I definitely do an interview. uh, Well, I, I I call it a free consultation, but I need to, they, yeah, (laughs) they need to know that we're going to be a good fit. And they, I think just having that initial conversation can certainly clear the air with that. Now, is there any supplements that you recommend for people to optimize gut health? I mean, I'm going to go to probiotics first. I think it would be silly to not talk about probiotics. They're, they're one of the first things that I recommend to anyone and everyone because um, actually we can just look at the word origin. Like pro means for, bios means life. So they're pretty important for life. I, I really think that sometimes when people make up words, they were onto something. So yeah, mm-hmm. we need these probiotics because we're part of like a, a community. So we have a million, trillion, whatever, I'm just making up words, but there is an actual number. We're actually outnumbered by bugs in us. So we need to make sure that the bugs are our friends. And so probiotics are just like our bug friends. And when they're living inside of us, it means that dickhead bugs are not in us. And so we want to replenish the, the gut with these bugs that are in us. They make stuff for us. So we have to understand that over you know millions of years, us and the bugs evolved together for the for the betterment of both. It's a really weird concept, I'm I think, for everyone to think that these bugs are like part of us as a big super organism. It's not just us. We've got less cells of our own than we do bugs in us. So once you can digest mm-hmm. that, <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit unnerving in a way, but that's the truth. So probiotics are absolutely key because they they are we're trying to improve the friends that we have in this super organism that is our body. And they sort of, because they live in the gut, they, you know, they release things like short chain fatty acids that actually our colonocytes, our cells in the gut need to live. Anyone who comes to see me for, for even for a consult, I'm like, just get some probiotics, like try it out. Mm-hmm. They're that important. They're that important. And, and for an athlete or for a non-athlete, equally important. Mm-hmm. So the other one, I don't know if you use glutamine. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, glutamine's a big one that I recommend for my athletes, like my my competitors. Do you use it for muscle building, or what? What's the sort of main rationale for you using it? In my research, I've also seen it support that it's for gut health as well. So that's one of the function, and it is assistive with repairing and and muscle building. I don't know how long the research has been out there to support it being associated with the gut health. You might be able to expand on that, but it's something that came into my radar probably over the past couple of years on the benefits of athletes taking use of it for that. Yeah, so I, I bet your recovery is better when you use it because it, it helps with like anabolic uh, and repair of muscle, which is great. But yeah, in terms of the gut, I used to use it when I first practiced like all the time. It's it's a big one that you learn about quite early, I think, in your training as a naturopath. And I to be honest, I, I usually get people on a, on a smoothie uh, that I designed and it has five grams of glutamine in it. So nice. yeah, high dose. Uh, L-glutamine is absolutely critical, not only for like things in your uh, area of focus, but like for the gut, it's the fuel for the cells of the colon. Mm. So, mm-hmm. and they turn over like every three, four days. Like they, they're, they're hardworking buggers. Like they, they have a short, <laughs> hardworking life. And so nice. they, yeah, they go like three to five days and then they slough off and then there's new ones underneath. So for that reproduction to happen, they need fuel, and the fuel that they use is glutamine. Amazing. What's in this smoothie? I'm sure the listeners are dying to know. Oh, I'd, um, <laughs> I'd, I'd have to pull it up. But it's basically, it's L-glutamine is, is sort of the cornerstone of it. That's why it's, it's Once I put it in there, I stopped using it on its own because I have almost everyone on the smoothie. But L-glutamine is sort of the cornerstone of it. I've got some phytochemicals uh, in there, so like quercetin, uh, some green tea extract. I put a little bit of vitamin D. Um, there's some go-to cola in there. Um, there's some minerals because a lot of us actually end up being mineral deficient and uh, so many enzymes and processes, they sort of borrow from the same pool of minerals. So you don't want to be mineral deficient. Vitamin A because of uh, connective tissue. A little bit of fiber, uh, which we can talk about uh, later when it comes to constipation. But Fiber is key and lots of different kinds of fiber. Off the top of my head, those are the ones I know. Cool. And protein, of course. <laughs> I was going to say, that's probably one, probably some protein in there. I'd imagine it wasn't just all the other stuff without the protein. Yeah. yeah. And, and so back to uh, maybe elimination diet style, um, or this, this is sort of related to elimination diet. I made it with rice and pea protein because those are the ones that I find to be the least allergenic or least likely cause sensitivities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty common for whey protein, even with a lot of the people that I work with that we end up going in the direction of using something that's going to be a vegan protein because it seems to sit better with people. So yeah, and I, actually I was there was all this information or maybe it was just like, maybe it was more just like marketing information. But it, there was this thing that basically whey protein was way more anabolic and, and better than than all the veggie protein. But I actually I remember looking at a study uh, a few years ago, and it, it went with it was pea versus whey protein, toe to toe in a study, and the anabolic effects of pea were equal to whey. So at that point, I was like, you know what? I, th- I think this is much better, and because whey has some you know possible issues that that the veg- vegetarian proteins just don't bring. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's tons of vegan and vegetarian athletes that are popping up everywhere. So, I mean, it can be done and bodybuilding in the vegan space is definitely emerging as being something that's growing as well. So yeah, totally possible to still build muscle with, with the use of that. Now let's dive into this whole constipation thing. So yeah, what are some strategies if somebody is dealing with constipation and they're not sure what to try? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, constipation. So I can't, I can't a hundred percent take off my naturopathic doctor hat. So the first thing I'd say is just make sure that this is just like what they'd call like functional constipation. Like, uh, like it's actually a problem just in the colon, not to undermine how important it is, but like, you know, there's, there's other, uh, diseases and, and conditions that can lead to constipation. And, um, if you're dealing, you know, mostly with a lot of women, you you might see some women with thyroid disease. So if you have hypothyroid, one of the one of the common symptoms is constipation. So okay, we can we can do what we can with the with the bowel, but at the same time we have to be addressing that that thyroid condition. So that's the first thing is make sure that it's just constipation, so that we're treating the cause, not just the symptom. And then, so I don't know if a lot of your listeners, they may, they may experience like changes in constipation or, or changes in severity of constipation uh, during different parts of the cycle. And I, found, I always found this really interesting. I thought, oh, it must be a hormonal effect. But then, you know what, you just go back to your anatomy sometimes. And if you look at a side view of, um, of the body, the anatomy, there's the, uh, there's the colon and the rectum and the anus, uh, and then there's the the um, uterus and the and the vagina, and then in front of that, there's the bladder. You'll see a lot of women have issues with uh, urinary uh, frequency, so go and pee a lot, or they'll have issues with you know constipation at certain times in their cycle, and it probably has a something to do with the uterus really expanding in size, and there's limited real estate there. Mm-hmm. So it's in- interesting for you to sort of think, you know, is there just is it just like a anatomy structure problem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and perhaps that could be one of the causes I never really thought about that to be honest yeah and it, it took and it took me a long time to s- sort of just go back to that I always thought oh there must be a hormonal effect mm-hmm. on the colon or whatever but really it could just be a real estate problem <laughs> yeah yeah you know yeah gotcha so that's one thing to consider and I don't know if you've heard of uh, working with anyone like this, but a pelvic floor physiotherapist is mm-hmm. is something. Yeah, you do you do you work with one? Yeah, so I worked with one after I had my son, and then I refer a lot of people to pelvic floor physio. Um, I think it's one hundred percent essential after you've had, even if you're done having your babies and you finished having your babies a few years ago. I do think there's a lot of power in what they can do. Yeah, I, I'd like to know the way that that is connected to constipation and just a little bit more insight for our audience about how they're interconnected. Yeah, so I'm I'm not an expert in that area, but I would say like the pelvic floor muscles I know are are really important for defecation for having a bowel movement. So you know the pelvic floor has to be addressed to some degree. I was reading um some some more uh, on this, and basically they don't know exactly every single process of how it it all happens, but we do know that a healthy pelvic floor is really necessary, and so I do refer also a lot to um, to a wonderful pelvic floor physio in my area for any any issues like with incontinence like you know incontinence of uh bowel or or urinary but it's so important for the actual defecation the act of having a poo mm-hmm. that 
that I really, I would say in terms of a like comprehensive approach to it, I'd make sure that every woman goes and sees a pelvic floor physio. And you went after, I, I would say uh, the best thing would be for every woman who's going to have a child to see a pelvic floor physio before and after. And um, mm-hmm. I just, I, I'm like you, I, I, I have them on a really high uh, sort of pedestal because the work they do has been not acknowledged uh, for a long time. Mm-hmm. I went through a course while I was pregnant in relation to essentially like everything personal training related to it. So how do we train somebody afterwards? And uh, the course was actually created by two pelvic floor physiotherapists as well as cool. two trainers. And yeah, they just brought light to some things that I would have never ever considered even in the way that you're breathing the way that you're picking things up the Mm -hmm. way that you're like holding your child the way that you're breastfeeding all of those like little little things you just it's so so crucial for women to see it as being something of value and see it as being something that's worth their investment because what happens is so often we're looking at our health from an outside perspective versus all of the things that are going on internally that are really the problems, right? Like so often people come to me and they say, hey, I want to lose, I want to lose weight or I want to lose fat. And, and sometimes we have internal problems that have to be addressed first to get you to that end goal. Or sometimes we even have things that are going on mentally that have to be addressed before we can get to that physical transformation. So really getting to the root of it is the only way that we can get to the end goal. It's just for some people, they just want to get to, okay, how do I get to this end goal? Well, they just don't see the value in the like internal repair. Look at you. You're like a, a naturopath, the way you're talking. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, maybe not. I think you've done a little bit more school than me, David. But uh, No, but you got the concepts. Like that, what you're talking about is so important. It's so important. And it's really like refreshing to see that you understand that sometimes there's this, you sometimes have to use a knife and sometimes you have to use a fork. And sometimes you have to use a spoon. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's really, that's the way I see, I hopefully see medicine going where everyone uh, plays together happily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure. Well, what did I, oh, so we, we went down a bit of a, a rabbit hole there with the pelvic floor. So I, I thought I'd just uh, round out some of the real basic stuff. So obviously with constipation, again, we're going to go food first. Like, what are you eating? Like, are you eating just totally refined, crappy foods? Well, I mean, you need fiber, you know, mm-hmm. so... That's that's real basic stuff. So, you know, fiber quantity and quality. I mean, I feel sometimes like I eat an obscene amount of fiber from just vegetables. Mm-hmm. And um, I've actually upped my game in that in that way. And uh, I, I find the the benefits from my from my GI system are just so amazing. So like just getting as much veg mm-hmm. fiber I- as possible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I would agree 100%. Now, other than vegetables, what are some other sources of fiber for those that might not be familiar with them? Yeah, so if you, I mean, again, I'd start with that. But then if if you want to go beyond that, there there's still fiber in some fruits. So this is the sort of rationale for not just eating fruit juice or drinking fruit juice. I can't tell you the last time I had fruit juice, to be mm-hmm, honest. But, mm-hmm, you know, eating too. a fruit. Yeah. Is, is better and and you know someone's gonna someone out there may think oh every time I eat this fruit I get a problem well you may have a fructose intolerance and that's a whole other issue but you know in general most of us could eat whole fruits and and do quite well prunes uh, I mean prunes I always associate with like just geriatric you know <laughs> medicine mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. of like my 83 year old grandma saying 
Got to have some prunes. Well, you know what? They work better than psyllium husk fiber. So that's what's uh, what's in Metamucil. So prunes, are more of like a whole food kind of approach than just taking a fiber supplement. But I do use fiber supplements, Ange. I, do, I mean, if people are busy and again, they have different views on things, different commitments to things, different commitments to making a whole food choice as opposed to, you know, going and getting something healthy out. So uh, even a, a, what's the one I use? Uh, it's a fiber by Douglas Labs, and I, I love it. It's nice. it's easy to take. It's got a bunch of different fibers because you, you have to think of all the – there's so many different bugs in you, and they all eat fiber to some degree. But they don't all like the same fiber. Mm-hmm. So so you're feeding them different kinds of fibers to keep all the bugs happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's fiber. I would also um, – I would say that the most common uh, supplement I use for constipation in general would be magnesium – uh, citrate specifically mm-hmm. specifically the citrate form which is an osmotic laxative which is just a fancy way of saying it pulls water into the bowel so it makes those sort of harder stools have a little bit more hydration and therefore easier to pass very That's a good. common one yeah yeah and yeah i love all those strategies i think that all uh, will be very helpful for our audience now what about strategies to deal with bloating bloating the you want to know sort of a little bit more information around it. One of the first things I like to know is like, do you, do you get the bloating after eating carbs? Like if you eat some pasta or, you know, a whole bunch of potato chips or even some sort of healthier carbs and starches, do you get bloating after that? And is it within like half an hour? Because if that's the case, you may have uh, something like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So it's basically it's a condition where it looks like you're like nine months pregnant after eating carbs because the bugs in your guts have moved up from the colon higher up into the GI because there's like uh, they've gotten through they busted through and there's like cheap real estate up in the small intestine and they've set up shop there and then they eat these starches and carbs which would be okay if they were in the colon but now they're in the the small intestine and higher up so they're actually sort of metabolizing these things, making these gases, and you actually get like, I don't know, you probably, I don't know, you, sa- you sounded like you had bloating before, but like I've seen people who, they honestly look like they're like about to burst pregnant, yeah. and it's <laughs> it's something else to look at, and, that, and if it's from carbs, then I would say they probably have something like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, that would be one of the things I would, I would think about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Other things to think about, basically tonifying digestion. So like just supporting digestion in any way. Uh, it can be so simple, such as I don't. I did a video recently on uh, on my Facebook page on apple cider vinegar. Have you used it at all? You know, it's funny. That was my next question. I was going to say, what are your thoughts on apple cider vinegar? <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's too funny no, that you just said that. See, I really like it. I do use it every day and feel like it helps me poop. And I, I, I've never had any problems with it. I do dilute it with some water, so about 500 milliliters. And I have a lot of my uh, competitors use it as well. What I often find with competitors when they get down to their calories being pretty low, your digestive system just is not it isn't going as frequently because there's not as, as much food going through when you're getting down to those levels of leanness. But what I found with the apple cider vinegar is it can really help that even if you're not pooping every single day, you are pooping every second day and you're never really getting to a level of feeling uncomfortable. But I would really, I'm, I'm curious about what your thoughts are on it. No, it's, I, I love, like my thoughts and are a lot based on 
feedback from people like you because I, you know, I like to go, I like to go to my training and then I like to go to the, you know, clinical experience or whatever, but really there's not much in the research mm-hmm. in terms of apple cider vinegar. It's really interesting. But of what I did, I got so much feedback from that um, post that I did. Like this woman uh, came in, actually she came in today. She said her husband has been uh, taking some every day for a few months and he's dropped 10 to 20 pounds without doing anything else. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know exactly what it's doing. I'm imagining it does something um, to the bowel flora to some degree, but you're not using much of it either. Like you're what are you putting like a are you putting like a cap full in your 500 mils of water? I would say about an ounce. So Yeah. Yeah, about an ounce. But yeah, I would say I don't necessarily use it for trying to lose weight. I would say for myself and for the athletes, it's to ensure that we staying regular, to be honest. Yeah, in terms of weight loss benefits, I would say that like it's something that's overhyped. Like the fact that that guy lost weight and that happened and didn't change anything. Perhaps it was the apple cider vinegar, perhaps it was something else. But I do think that like, I don't think it's like a magical liquid that Aiden, you're still going to sit there and eat pizza and McDonald's every day and you're right. and you're going to have apple cider vinegar and you're like, why am I not losing weight? Like, I don't think apple cider vinegar is like going to undo all of the un- like unhealthy other lifestyle factors, right? But it's it's possible that somebody starts apple cider vinegar and has already been at least trying to do some health things in terms of lifestyle. It's possible that it could help. I do think it would help maybe clean out some shit that's inside. That so maybe mm-hmm. they just had like bunch of like things that are built up that that it could help clear out. But it's not going to be like start apple cider vinegar and all of a sudden you're like going to drop a whole bunch of weight. Yeah, that's the problem these days, it seems like, with a lot of supplement advice. They don't have that context that you're providing there. So this guy may have, you know, he may have had these improvements. And I actually, I believe that in his case, it probably was the thing that did it. But I, to, to, it's like when you read a, a, something that says Moringa for cancer, for inflammation, for insomnia. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, you need that context. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that to it. Uh, what I was getting to is that maybe it's doing something uh, with regards to stomach, uh, stomach proper, like the actual stomach. When we say stomach, we usually mean like all our guts, but I mean the actual stomach where the acid is. There's a lot of, you know, people have, have their opinions, but there's probably some pretty good opinions that it might be tonifying the stomach acid. And we didn't really talk about this, but the, the everything is interconnected. We talked about that to some degree, but really this the GI system is quite linear in a way too, right? So it's it's like you chew and then you sort of uh, break things down into smaller pieces. That's the idea of chewing. And then it goes into the stomach and it breaks it down into smaller pieces by acid breakdown. And then it goes further into the, uh, the small intestine where enzymes are now breaking it down into smaller pieces. You get the theme. But the, the thing is the this, this stomach function just doesn't work well in so many people. Like mm-hmm. their stomach function is just too low or what happens is uh, a lot of people are on proton pump inhibitors or other sort of things that stop stomach acid and it's terrible. So, you know, because everything's linear, I'm saying what's happening in the stomach, if it's optimized, that means subsequent steps are optimized. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's all interconnected that it would affect the next steps. Exactly. The mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, no, 
I think that that brings up a good point and it's very possible. I'm sure it's, it's so interesting. I find nutrition and training so interesting in that way because even the things that we thought to be true three or four years ago, research will disprove. We're just starting to get to know so many things, right? And, and research is just starting in so many departments. So we know as much as we know right now, but who's to say that those things may not change over the next five years because the space is so new. Totally. I've, I think I've been a, there's been a couple times where I've had to go a couple years later, go, oh, you know what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I was totally right about that. So I, actually, I think as I get older, I get less declarative. I'm like, you know, yes. I'm, not, I'm less likely to stand on a soapbox and just go, okay, well, this is the this is the way things look, but it could be wrong. You have to be prepared to be wrong. Otherwise, you stop learning, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I think as long as you continue to learn and grow and stay up with being a little bit nerdy about all of it, I think that uh, <laughs> you'll be in a good spot. So that is fantastic, David. Now, I do want to talk a little bit more about what it is that you do and if there is anybody who may be local, what you might be able to help them with. Yeah, so at this point, uh, really what I do is I practice as a naturopathic doctor in a very, almost like a GP kind of way with a focus on uh, digestive health and acupuncture. So what I do is I, I, like I said, I interview people or free consult as we talked about mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. to make sure that, you know, we're, we're a good match because a big thing about the way I, I work is that I, I want to be thorough and I need someone to be committed in what I'm doing and I don't want to sell it to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want, I want you to, to just, I just want you to want to get better and trust in me that I've done the research. I've done. I I live and breathe this stuff, and it's all I do. I'm not good at anything else. I can change my tires on my car, mm-hmm. but like other than that, I'm just a good naturopath. So my approach is not very brandable in a way. I sort of take the best of all the different ways of looking at a situation. I write letters to doctors. I'll do acupuncture. I'll do homeopathy. I'll do you know start with food. I do what I think is the most efficient sort of way about getting someone to their health goals as is possible. And so they need goals. And you know all about goals. Mm-hmm. If we don't have the goals, if we don't have the goals to work towards, then um, I don't think I want to see someone in a way. I want I want you to want to get better and let me coach you mm-hmm. to get to those goals. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Very cool. Now you mentioned that you did a video. So that means that people can find some content that you're putting out, David. So where would people go if they wanted to check out your content? Yeah, so uh, right now I just started a, a new website. So you can go to uh, drdavidmillernd.com. That's D-R-D-A-V-I-D-M-I-L-L-E-R-N-D.com. So I'm just starting a new sort of minimalist uh, website there. And, and you'll see in the in the style of the website, it's sort of minimal minimalist in terms of I, I'm trying to clarify. That's a big goal for me is it's like there's so much content out there. Everyone's got a blog. Everyone's got an opinion. You'll hear contradictory things, so I'm trying to be, you know, express it in the, in the visuals of the website that it's it's a minimalist approach. Meaning I've, I want to clear clarify things. The other thing you'll notice uh, as I do content is going to be very thorough. It's not clickbait. It's the opposite. There's no advertisements going, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that. I just want like really thorough information. So the first post I did uh, a few weeks ago was thorough. I did another really, really thorough post uh, that I'd encourage everyone to check out in the last week or so. It took me like a day to do. So 
check out that content. But if you want more sort of shooting from the hip content, I have a Facebook page that I do Friday videos on. So just search for David Miller ND on Facebook or Vegan Meat Eater, which is my silly um, name that I, I use because I'm sort of throwing all the, the diet sort of fads out the window and sort of recreating one that's just a mix of all the best of everything. So that's why it's Vegan Meat Eater. It's not to offend anyone. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. I love the uniqueness of it, and I think it stands out. So, very cool. And we'll be sure to hook all of those links up in the show notes for you guys. Now, David, I end every podcast in the same way by asking our guests the one final question, and that is, how would you like to be remembered when you pass on? Ooh, wow, that's a good one. Well, I didn't talk much about homeopathy, but I'd like to be. Um, that's that's something I feel very passionate about. And uh, I'd like to be remembered as someone who um, brought sexy back to homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, because homeopathy has had a really bad, a really bad uh, rep. And it's, I feel like homeopathy as a, as a subset of naturopathic medicine or as a thing on itself is like it's in the 10th round and it's been beat up hard by conventional science. And I really want to be a part of a renaissance of homeopathy. How do you bring sexy back to that? I don't know. I, that was ridiculous to say that. I just, I just want to, I just want it to get the the credit it needs. It needs to be honored. It's a beautiful kind of medicine, and it's been ridiculed. And I think you bring it back by showing that it works reproducibly. So that's. I have this product called Sorlex, which I hope you'll hear lots about someday, um, because this product is amazing. It's just a homeopathic in terms of its composition, it's made only from homeopathics and it works better than any cold sore medicine out there. I guarantee it. And it's just, it's only made of homeopathics. So I'm trying to use Sorlex as a sort of Sinatra effect. You know, I made it in New York. I can make it anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's 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 one disease that will beat every pharmaceutical at hands down. So I hope that that sort of serves as a foothold for homeopathy as a whole. And where can people buy that if they want to try that product? So it's only available in Canada right now. It's uh, it's available just to purchase online at www.sorlex.ca. That's S-O-R-L-E-X.ca. And so for now, Canadians can buy it online. And I, uh, I'm yeah, I'm doing quite well with it. I'm I'm really excited for it to get uh, big, not for the financial gain, but for I to bring homeopathy back to the the status it deserves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing, David. So I just want to wrap up today's episode by commending you and thanking you for all of the amazing work that you are doing. And I really appreciate your time. So thank you so much for coming on, chatting with me. And I know that the audience is going to get tons of value from all of the information that you shared. Thanks so much, And You're a source of inspiration for everyone, including me. Uh, you know, I, there's times when uh, we just need to toughen up, suck it up, and, and work harder. And the, your your uh, your voice is usually there in, in my head, too. So uh, thanks for doing what you do, too. No, I really appreciate that, David. All right. We'll get together another time. You bet. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. It was fantastic to have you here and joining me. Now, I would love to know if you're going to give an elimination diet a try. So send me a message either on Instagram, Facebook. Let me know if you're giving it a go. If you have more questions about it, you certainly can reach out to myself or reach out to David because we're here to help and support you on your journey to feeling your absolute best. So 
There may be some people in your life that you know could really benefit from the content of today's episode or past episodes. So if you really liked it, be sure to share it with a friend and let's work together to make a healthier world. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Bye.